0: Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Tonight I'm going to tell you the good news. (laughs) This is a path of happiness. I'm going to lay it on you. (laughs) I know you're saying, no, no, joy, I'm in suffering. I I like my suffering. Let me get into the first noble truth. Let me get into the second noble truth. This is a path of happiness. The Buddha was called the happy one. He said, go for the highest happiness and you'll get all the other happinesses along the way. Just understand where happiness really lies and then go for it. The Dalai Lama starts out his book the art of happiness the purpose of life is to be happy it's a great way to start a book (laughs) we all want to be happy i i forget if i asked it here did i ask you anyone who doesn't want to be happy did i ask that here no is there anyone here who doesn't want to be happy (laughs) That's not what I asked. <laughs> I asked anybody who doesn't want to be happy. And if your hand is just tempted to go up and say, yeah, me, well, that's your way of being happy. Whatever turns you on. But there's this place inside of us that really wants to be happy, that is governing almost not almost, everything that we do. And so let's just call it like it is and see if we can activate that place that's coming from the deepest caring for our well-being, even though it gets misguided and confused and does things that lead us anywhere but our happiness. Everything that we do, and I invite you just to check this out for yourself, everything that we do in some way or another is an attempt at either soothing ourselves or bringing about greater well-being, or in our confusion, doing things that we think we should do or that we deserve because we're listening to some confused state that um, turns us in a strange direction, but that we yearn, there's something, even if you get caught up in the fears and self judgments and the, the ways that you seem to sabotage yourself You're here, and that means that there's something stronger than all the confusions, all the doubts, all the self-sabotaging strategies that is calling for your happiness. Or you can say for your liberation from suffering, just the the other side of the same coin. It's sometimes not easy to remember that this is a path of happiness. There's so much focus on suffering, there is suffering, there's a cause of suffering. There's an end to suffering. And there's a path that leads to the end to suffering. That's a lot of focus on suffering. But what is the Buddha talking about? He's talking about the end of suffering, the highest happiness. And sometimes it's easy to forget that. When I first got into this practice, I think I mentioned it, I think in an earlier talk, I came home. It was my salvation. I finally found something that I could trust in and believe in that was going to steer me in the right direction. And I, as many people here can relate to, just went for it because I was in a lot of suffering. And for quite some time, it was this incredible long honeymoon with the Dharma. But at some point, I got really serious about practice. Very serious about practice. Dead serious about practice. And it became solemn and somber, as I mentioned in that, I think, in a previous talk meeting Punjaji, you know why is your your emptiness so much more fun than ours because I had gotten very somber, and actually that was some that was a a turning point that broke that trance that I was in, and when i <clears throat> reclaimed my joy because even when I was in suffering before I came to the Dharma, there was a place in me that that did love life and when i reclaimed it when i got back in touch with that natural um, aliveness i wanted to take a look and see where i had gone wrong and confuse the teachings because i'd i'd somehow tangled up the end of suffering with the end of living and thought, not consciously but unconsciously, that a Buddhist shouldn't be having a lot of fun, <laughs> and that the more serious one is. You know, I'd, I'd hear talks. I'd sit with a, a great Sayadaw who would who would end each each talk saying, "May you speedily get off the wheel of." Samsara, and escape from the woes of this world and attain the bliss of Nibbana. And he was coming from a very loving, compassionate place. But that kind of message can easily be misinterpreted in saying, let's get out of here as fast as we can because this place is a drag. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) There's a... In the teachings, there's a, um, there's a, a, a word, um, um, maybe Carol used it in one of the talks, uh, Nibida. Did she mention it? Here? Nibida, which often is translated as having um, utter disgust for the five aggregates for this mind and body, revulsion, so one could easily get the idea. This is not a whole lot of fun. But nibbida actually means uh, disenchantment. Where you're not enchanted, you're not under the spell of the five aggregates or of the the beauty of of the world. It doesn't mean to reject it. This is something that sometimes serious practitioners can uh, get confused by. And I share with you one of my favorite quotes of uh, Ajahn Sumedho, who uh, beautifully articulates this, um, this issue. He says, Sometimes in Theravada Buddhism one gets the impression that you shouldn't enjoy beauty. If you see a beautiful flower, you should contemplate its decay. Or if you see a beautiful woman, you should contemplate her as a rotting corpse. (laughs) This has a certain value on one level, but it's not a fixed position to take. It's not that we should feel compelled to reject beauty and dwell on its impermanence and on how it changes to being not so beautiful and then downright repulsive. That's a good reflection on Nietzsche, dukkha, and Anatta, but it can leave the impression that beauty is only to be reflected on in terms of these three characteristics, rather than in terms of the experience of beauty. People who can't see the beauty of the good or the true are really bitter and mean. They live in an ugly realm where there's no rejoicing in beauty and goodness and truth. But once you have true insight, then you find you enjoy and delight in the beauty and the goodness of things. Truth, beauty, and goodness delight us. In them we find joy. This is a good thing to keep in mind. Joy is one of the seven factors of enlightenment, one of the four divine abodes. And there are a number of different flavors of well-being, whether it's called joy or um, rapture or contentment or happiness or ease or peace, lots of different flavors on the continuum that the Buddha spoke about. <clears throat> and what I've hold on. what I've done is take a look at the teachings and, and just see what the Buddha does say about happiness and, um, uh, and somehow see that this is a practicable uh, path, not just on retreat, but uh, in, in daily life as well. And three particular teachings of the Buddha strike me around this cultivation of well-being, happiness, joy. Uh, One is, as I think was mentioned already, the teaching on wise effort where he says, guard against unwholesome states that haven't yet arisen. Overcome unwholesome states when they have arisen. We've been doing a lot of that Guarding against here, we have a very protective environment where we're not besieged by a lot of things that will trigger off our uh, our wanting, although it still happens, doesn't it? And when the unwholesome state arises, we have lots of different strategies from mindfulness to metta to spacious awareness to um, lots of different ways to work with and overcome the unwholesome states. Then he says to cultivate wholesome states when they've arisen, sorry, when they haven't yet arisen, that we do the metta, or now we're doing mudito or compassion. You're planting those seeds in the mind and in the heart. Even if it, you're not feeling it, you're planting that intention to cultivate that wholesome state. Or when you practice mindfulness, even though it seems like it's a remote possibility you keep on bringing your attention back like i said you know manual labor okay come on back and after a while mindfulness does get cultivated starting from that intention and then he talks about when a wholesome state is here that is a state that leads to well-being and to happiness to maintain and increase that wholesome state. He says this is a good thing. It's one of the four wise efforts to maintain and increase wholesome states when they've arisen. So that's one principle. Okay, then it's a good thing to not only experience the wholesome but to maintain and increase it while it's here. Not with attachment. As soon as there's attachment, you're out of a wholesome state, but just to invite and um, allow it to grow. Second principle that's really struck me is um, from one discourse where the Buddha talks about a gladness that accompanies a wholesome state. He says... That gladness that accompanies the wholesome, that gladness connected with the wholesome, the words are, I call an equipment of mind to overcome ill will and hostility. And when one feels that gladness, one delights in the meaning, one gains inspiration in the meaning, inspiration in the Dhamma and the heart opens and gladdens. He said, notice the gladness. And in in this discourse, he suggests as one example, in the middle of a generous act, you should reflect to yourself, I'm being generous now. That's his instruction. Reflect to yourself, oh, I'm being generous. Not to take ownership and say, how wonderful, gee, I'm such a generous person and I hope everybody sees. But rather, to feel how good it feels as generosity moves through us. That uplifting feeling of goodness. We access the goodness that's right inside and it inspires us. So, to... Experience the gladness connected with the wholesome. And then uh, a third teaching that's been mentioned here already that can be used to cultivate and, and awaken well-being and joy is the teaching that he gives. Whatever one frequently thinks and ponders upon, that will become the inclination of their mind. And if you frequently think and ponder upon and experience the gladness connected with the wholesome, if you frequently think and ponder upon how amazing it is to be alive, how there's really goodness in people if we look, hard enough sometimes, (laughs) if we look, it's right there. If you have your mind inclined that way, that's where it naturally lands. If you frequently think and ponder upon how everybody is going to disappoint you, and how the world is a mess, and how there's no point in doing anything because it's all going to pass anyway, you know, that's where your mind will land and will naturally be inclining to. You can choose, that's what he's saying. Whatever we frequently think and ponder upon can be, will be the inclination of mind. So if you frequently cultivate wholesome states and connect with the gladness of them, then you are awakening well-being. So, I thought I'd share with you uh, a few uh, ways that I've explored to develop this and see that it's a, a principle that you can use right here on the retreat. You know I'm, I'm reminded, actually, last year,. Mm, there was uh, somebody who was sitting on a retreat who I, I've known for quite some time. And she was just in the thick of it. And she came into an interview. We were, I was up by the council house. And uh, she came in she just said, It's all... It's all bad, basically. I, my body hurts. She was going through a lot of body dukkha. My mind just can't get out of it. Um, I just don't see any end in sight. And it's just one horrible moment after another. And I was really, it was so, she was very sincere, and I was really you know, touched by her. And I sat there and I said, let's see in this moment, is there anything that's not miserable about this moment? And she got quiet. I said, "'ll well, just sit here for a few moments." And she felt the fire you know, that's the cool thing about interviews <laughs> up there. <clears throat> and she said, "Oh, that fire is really—it's really nice. Mm, it's warm. Hmm, it's kind of comforting. I said, What else? She said, Well, I kind of feel it the glow just spreading around my my body. Hmm, what else? Well now my body's relaxing a little bit. What else? And she just started naming all the pleasant moments in her experience that she'd been missing. And I said, you know, I, I I think it's time that maybe you, you've gotten very good at noticing everything unpleasant around you. Uh, see if there are moments of pleasantness that you can you can see in there as well. It was amazing when she started looking for it; and they were everywhere, and it really shifted her whole retreat. Not to pretend that there there aren't real difficulties to open up to. But if you're only looking at the sorrows, you know, we hear the expression, the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. If you're only focused on the sorrows, there's no room, there's no space to hold it all. We get overwhelmed. But if you can see and open up to the goodness in life as well, then you have the energy to deal wisely and skillfully with the hard stuff. So, some wholesome states. The first key in awakening well-being is to incline the mind that way, to have the intention to connect with your heart and be happy and most people don't put it in the center of their of their life they might think oh yes i want to be successful i want to be a good yogi i want to whatever but if you really get in touch with i really want to be happy that kind of changes everything and if you can get clear on why what it is that really inspires you then that up-levels the whole experience. This is when I think Carol was talking about clear comprehension of purpose, to get clear on what moves you, what your intention is, why you're sitting, why you're doing what you're doing. Then anything can happen as you get in touch with a decision to change. Mm. This is from... um, Martin Seligman who uh, is the father of positive psychology uh, you know this whole uh, wonderful movement about going from I was a psych major and you'd read the psych the abnormal psych book and every everything that you'd read oh yeah I've got that too I've got that too yeah that too <clears throat> well how radical it is to go for wellness when he became the head of the uh, American Psychological Association, he started that shift. And the book Authentic Happiness was a a landmark in that. This is um, how the positive psychology movement started. The moment took place in my garden while I was weeding with my five-year-old daughter, Nikki. I have to confess that even though I write books about children, I'm really not all that good with them. I'm goal-oriented and time-urgent, and when I'm weeding in the garden, I'm actually trying to get the weeding done. (laughs) Nikki, however, was throwing weeds into the air, singing and dancing around. I yelled at her. She walked away, came back, and said, Daddy, I want to talk to you. (laughs) Yes, Nikki, I said. Daddy, do you remember before my fifth birthday from the time I was three to the time I was five, I was a whiner I whined every day when I turned five I decided not to whine anymore that was the hardest thing I've ever done and if I can stop whining you can stop being such a grouch this was an epiphany for me nothing less Nikki hit the nail right on the head I was a grouch I'd spent 50 years mostly enduring wet weather in my soul and the last 10 being a nimbus cloud in a household full of sunshine. Any good fortune I had was probably not due to my grumpiness, but in spite of it. In that moment, I resolved to change. That was the start of the positive psychology movement. You can change at any moment once you make the decision. Once you make the decision to go for true well-being and activate that place within you that really wants to be happy. Take a moment right now. Just, I invite you to go inside and get in touch with the place that really does want to be happy. That roots for your well-being even when you get lost and forget. That keeps you sitting here, walking and doing this practice, going through the hard stuff. It's a very pure, beautiful place. Listen to it. Just see, is it true? I want to be happy. Or whatever words inspire you, I want to be free. I want to fully awaken my heart. I want to be a beautiful instrument. What words really connect you with your true heart's desire? And if you can connect with it, intention is making the heartfelt decision to do your part. Let go of the timetable, but just put your heart into it. I'm going for it. Not wishing or hoping, but just deciding to do your part cause you really do want genuine happiness okay so you have the intention clear comprehension of purpose And then, the great tool of well-being, what we're practicing here, mindfulness. As the Buddha said, the most wonderful, most direct way to overcome sorrow, lamentation, grief, despair, and realize the highest happiness, the establishment of mindfulness. Because mindfulness is unique among all the mental factors that we have in that it cultivates all the other wholesome states, all the other wholesome mental factors, and it weakens all the unwholesome ones. How amazing that is, isn't it? When you think about it, what could be, it's like this great secret that was here all along for us that the Buddha discovered under the tree. This is the way. Amazing, this great secret. Oh, you just have to pay attention in a very kind and present way and life reveals itself to you and your heart opens and your confusion lessens And you can wake up to complete freedom. How amazing. It cultivates all the wholesome states and it cuts off the unwholesome states. Every moment of mindfulness counts. And even more for the purposes of awakening other wholesome states when you're present for them, when you have an experience of well-being and you turn your attention to it, then it amplifies it. This is done in working with the jhanas. If you happen to feel some joy and you turn your attention to the joy and just get very focused on that, ah, the mind can become completely absorbed in joy or in love or in compassion. And it interrupts, it wakes us up from our confusion. Here's a, Story I, I want to read. I love it. From this good book I've just come across. <laughs> what is it? Oh, it's uh, Awakening Joy. It's called. <laughs> um, who's it by? <laughs> uh, James Barris. Shoshana Alexander. Um, We have little control over what thoughts arise in any particular moment. If we did, we'd probably have only thoughts of love and goodwill toward all of humanity, but a few others seem to slip through. We have profound thoughts, bizarre thoughts, and ugly thoughts. Seeing some of what goes on in our mind, the fears, the pettiness, the judgment can be humbling, I once heard a Tibetan Buddhist teacher playfully refer to looking at what's going on in our minds as one insult after another. (laughs) Or as a common saying goes, self-knowledge is usually bad news. (laughs) (laughs) But it's actually very good news. While what arises in the mind is somewhat random and out of control, we do have control over what thoughts we choose to dwell on. At one Awakening Joy class, meditation teacher Sylvia Borstein told a story about how becoming aware of what she was thinking helped reframe an experience. One evening when she was staying in New York City, she had arranged to meet a friend for a theater performance and decided to take a bus to get there. As the bus crept along through the heavy traffic, Sylvia started worrying. I'm going to be late. I'll miss the curtain. My friend will worry about what happened to me. I shouldn't have taken the bus. The subway would have been so much faster. Figuring she could walk faster than the bus was going, Sylvia got off. And of course, as I'm walking, the bus passes me by, and now I'm thinking I should have taken a cab. <laughs> Sylvia's been meditating for years, but she's also, by her own admission, been fretting for years, so is an easy reaction to fall into. <clears throat> she describes running down Broadway in high heels with a cold wind whipping around her, And then all of a sudden I have the thought, what am I doing? Oh, I'm grumbling. That's a moment of mindfulness. Up until then, I was caught up in a habit-driven narrative, an editorial comment about what was happening. The moment at which the mind says, Sylvia, you're grumbling. The lens switches. And suddenly the truth of that moment is I'm a 71 year old woman running down Broadway, in the middle of winter, in high heels, that is far out. That's an extremely fortunate thing to be able to do. It changed everything. I felt proud and I actually hoped a lot of people saw me. As Sylvia puts it, a moment of mindfulness is always a a moment of freedom. We have the courage to make choices that result in positive differences for ourselves and others when we see clearly. (coughs) So mindfulness is this tool that we can use to actually amplify all the wholesome states when they come. I would encourage you as you're going through the day And you happen to have an experience of well-being. There's calm. There's joy. There's love. It's not cheating to turn your attention and notice, what does this feel like? Really let it in. Not with attachment, not with, oh, my God, I hope it never goes. This is so cool. Then you just cut it off. But if you just explore the landscape of well-being, this is maintaining and increasing the wholesome state, very skillful. Another wholesome state that we've talked about is gratitude. This is a very powerful doorway to well-being and joy. And it's really mindfulness refined, where you are, one way to think of mindfulness is you're appreciating the moment. It's such an amazing show that's right here. How is that all happening? How is it that you're breathing? How is it that your body knows what to do to heal? It's all just so amazing. And if you can refine your awareness and see this amazing show, the heart opens naturally. It's so common. For, <clears throat> for people as a retreat goes on to just be filled with gratitude. Isn't that amazing? You know that experience. I'm sure everybody here knows that experience, you know, on your better days. Right. <coughs> wow, it just opens up. I think I said, you know, about the satellite dish. I mentioned that here, didn't I? You know, as your satellite dish is open, it's like there's room for more. And when you have that openness, then there's space to let all the hard stuff move through. Mm. It's never too late to see this. And a story, another story that I love, my favorite story from the book probably, is about my mom who, is uh, 91 now, and uh, two years ago, as I was writing a lot, I was writing about gratitude, and I came down to visit her in LA, and and I had this copy of Greater Good magazine, which is a a wonderful journal about well-being and altruism and uh, all this new scientific research, all about the benefits of gratitude it boosts your immune system, you have, you know, you're more active, loads and loads of research. And she was really impressed, you know, I said, what do you think? that? She said, oh, that's pretty neat. And she, as I mentioned before, she's a worrier and uh, tends to see things uh, on the negative side. And I said, isn't this great, Mom? You know, just, just imagine if, you know, how much healthier you get if uh, you could could uh, get into that habit. She said, "Oh yeah, that would be. I know. I know my life is blessed, but you know, I just I've been doing it this way a long time, so I, I don't. I don't think it's. I don't think there's any hope for me to change." So uh, we played a little game. We were playing Scrabble as this conversation was happening. I said, "Oh, let's play a game." She's really good at Scrabble sometimes kills me uh, and loves every moment of it. Sometimes I beat her, but... And I said, uh, well, look, how about if every time you say something that's wrong, you make a complaint, I just remind you, I say, and, yeah, and I say, and you say, oh, and my life is very blessed. She said, okay, let's do it. She's, she's a gamer. She's pretty cool. If you've met my mother, you, some people here have. She's a pretty uh, interesting character. And uh, that week I had lots of opportunities to retort as the complaints rolled off her tongue. You know, Oh, it's to, so cool here in Marina Del Rey. Oh, it's so cool and, uh, today, you know. Oh, and I and oh yeah, and my life is very blessed. You know? <laughs> and it became; it was a lot of fun. We really had our week was great. It was so great, and she kept up with it. I called her a lot after after I got home to kind of remind her of the game, and amazingly, it took hold. Uh, my sister came home three weeks later, and said what did you do to mom? <laughs> this, is, this is true. And, uh, the, and she wasn't particularly thrilled with it, actually, because uh, she has that. But she got used to it. Um, and um, a number of months later, seven months later, she wrote me a birthday card. We always write poems for our birthday. And this is a poem that she wrote. She just kept up with it. And she became, she just, every conversation was, I'm so blessed. My life is so blessed. I, I, I was stunned, right? This is uh, a poem which, in the interim, she was, um, um, her eyesight started to go. <clears throat> Fortunately, it's gotten better because she has the kind of macular degeneration that can respond. So that's another kind of blessing. But during this time, she, it was going down. 90 is just fine with me. I no longer rant and rave about where the world is heading and my exclusive job to save. I wallow in contentment and know that I am blessed, awakening to the joy of living at its best. I'm happier than I've ever been and truly mean each word. The thoughts that cause the worries now all seem so absurd. Though my eyesight has been dimmed, I see clearer than before, the glass is not half empty, it's overflowing to be sure." This has kept up, actually a number of months ago, I was, she was talking about how blessed she is. I said, boy, you are so positive these days. <laughs> she said, I'm having so many positive thoughts, it's positively exhausting. Uh, She gave a talk recently about how I'd ruined her life because because she'd been a kvetch'er and a complainer her whole life and and, uh, it's in her genes and now she doesn't complain anymore and she's happy. Uh, If she can change, anybody can change. But feeling the opening... Of gratitude and actually focusing on it, there you are awakening joy. Let's just take a moment. Think of a blessing in your life somebody or some circumstance, some gift you've been given. And if you can have an image of it, so much the better that blessing, that person or that situation and uh, just say silently thank you with your heart to life with that person thank you now turn your attention and feel the experience of gratitude how amazing it is that we can feel that. Let yourself take it in. One more. Think of another blessing, another person, another circumstance. Have an image. Thank you. Say thank you inside. Let yourself feel it. Let yourself mindfully open to the landscape of grateful heart. This is good. This is an okay thing. This is maintaining and increasing a wholesome state, just tuning into the gladness with it. The gratitude allows us to open up to something that we've been talking about a lot here on the retreat, which is how to deal with the hard stuff because Life is hard sometimes. It's the first noble truth. And so I'm not talking about living in denial. But I think you've seen by now that when the hard stuff comes, there's ways that we can open up to it and work with it that don't overwhelm us. And in fact, the curious thing is that opening up to our suffering, as the Buddha said, I teach about suffering and the end of suffering. And when we open up to our suffering and learn that we have the capacity, just even a little, little by little, then we can find a place of courage and compassion and uh, wakefulness that gives us tremendous confidence And in one of the lists of the Buddhas, he talks about how suffering can be a causative factor to awaken faith. And faith can be a causative factor to gladden the heart. And gladness can be a causative factor for joy to arise. And joy can lead to happiness and contentment and equanimity and all the higher states states of freedom to full liberation. So suffering can lead to joy, can lead to freedom. You might say, wow, how does that work? Let me ask, how many people have come to practice out of some motivation uh, to understand or be free of suffering? That's how it works. <laughs> you see right there. It, it shakes us out of our complacency. And if we are blessed enough to have a good body of teachings and some tools and a very sincere heart and somehow the courage, if we've heard the Dharma and have had that blessing to open up to great freedom and peace. It's amazing how that happens doesn't happen necessarily overnight, but it happens. It can happen. And sometimes the people who have the greatest sorrow and pain are the ones who transmute that into a gift to others. I, a, f- a few... Um, last week it was... what is was it? Today's, a week ago today. I don't know if, if, it, if you heard about... If you heard it, but during tea time... Uh, the bell rang a lot. How many people heard that? A few. You were inside. It was just during the tea time. Just rang and rang and rang. 108 times. Because uh, every February 12th, uh, my friend Nancy comes, and we um, honor the memory of her daughter, her 14-year-old daughter, Julia who uh, took her life at the age uh, at the age of 14, 12 years ago. And when Nancy first came here, on that first retreat afterwards, she was just barely keeping it together. Barely. Didn't know if there was a reason to go on living. And over the years... It took a few years, it took about four or five years to just kind of see that she could go on. And then at some point she transmuted that pain and that sorrow into a radiant joy. She's amazing to be around. And she saw that living her life with as much appreciation and blessing, what she could give to life, would be a way to honor Julia. And she wrote me this card after that turning happened. She started working with people, which she does now, working with um, parents of children who've died, many who've taken their life, not exclusively, but many. I've received a gift that is beyond words. I've witnessed my deepest despair, the darkest, most wounded quarters of my heart, and learned not to flinch or back away. I rested in love and even tasted joy, all the while knowing the sorrow of my loss. A few days ago, I held a bereaved mother in my arms as she sobbed. She had lost her son to suicide. I held her to my heart as she held on for dear life. And as I rocked her, it was as if I was rocking Julia, rocking myself, rocking the broken hearts of all beings, in that rocking, in that holding, we were all held in one heart. I've been so blessed. And she is, I love being around Nancy. She's this radiant being. Suffering can be converted into something quite extraordinary. All the suffering that you might go, to, go through, think of it as a gift that you are learning to be there for the suffering of others in the world. There's a number of other ways and a lot of other wholesome states to, to talk about. Uh, I'll just mention a few and then wanna do a couple of exercises if we have time. One that the Buddha talked about, the bliss of blamelessness a life of integrity. We take the the precepts here. When we are in alignment with our heart and with our goodness, then there is a great feeling of ease. And here's a, if I can find it, a beautiful, oh yeah the Buddha saying, for one who leads a virtuous life, it is a natural law that remorse will not arise. For one free, free of remorse, it is a natural law that gladness will arise. For one who is glad at heart, it is a natural law that joy will arise. That's how it works every time you act with integrity, don't just say, oh well, that's the way I'm supposed to be. When you're faced with a tough choice and somehow your heart goes the good route, let yourself feel the wholesomeness of that. Let yourself feel how good it is to align yourself with your highest values so that the natural law of of gladness arises and joy arises. You might think of something that that you've done in your life that really had integrity to it, and let yourself be inspired, be touched by your own goodness. Last time I spoke, I talked about the, the joy of letting go, of contentment. And so I won't go into that. But every time you are able to let go, every time you are able to just be with things as they are without wanting anything extra, notice that feeling of contentment. Let the gladness of the wholesome open your heart where you don't need anything more in this moment either to be taken away or to add it is just what it is. How wonderful. What a beautiful, full feeling that is. There's, of course, the joy that comes from an open heart. Loving kindness. Loving kindness with ourself. Loving ga- kindness with others. It starts with ourselves though. This is not self-indulgent as the question uh, uh, came up and it's a very common question. How can I be wishing my own happiness? You know, This is a very important thing to do because until you can see your own goodness and wish yourself well, you, you will be looking for others to validate you. So to see your own goodness and uh, I think I'd like to Share a, an exercise that I, I, I like to do about uh, metta for self that I learned on that I came to on on one metta retreat. I was sitting for about six weeks doing brahmavihara practice, and I was doing metta for self, and it was it was kind of okay. I wasn't beating myself up. It wasn't really juicy or rich. But it was, I was okay with it. And then all of a sudden, somebody came to my mind who I knew really loved me. I said, well, gosh, if I could see what that person sees, it would be a whole lot easier. And I thought, oh, well, what does that person see anyway? And that's when I came in touch with this practice. So you might try it on this for a moment. Bring someone into your mind who you have a lot of love for, that you share. Just imagine they're right here with you and feel that special energy that flows between you. And now for a moment, imagine inhabiting their reality and see who they see when they're with their friend. Why do they like and enjoy being so much with you? This can be, by the way, a person, or it could be a pet, it could be any being that you share an, an ease with. Just see what they see. Get in touch with all the qualities that touch them, that shine through you, whether you realize it or not. As one poet says, drink yourself in. See if this person is worthy of love. And then send her or him some. May you really be happy. May you see your goodness. And then let your consciousness come in from the inside. And stay connected with that. And send that to yourself. May I be happy. And open up to all the goodness inside. Share my love well. Notice how it feels just to wish that for yourself. Okay, you can open your eyes if you'd like. <clears throat> if you got just a glimpse or more of what your friend sees, just raise your hand. curious. He oh, good. Well, if you raise your hand, as I like to say. The jig is up. You can't pretend. You can't pretend you're not worthy of love. And you would be very delighted if you met yourself. Just imagine meeting somebody who got all your jokes, (laughs) who understood your take on the world, who really got it, right? How would you feel about meeting somebody who completely, really understood you? You'd be tickled pink, wouldn't you? It's just from the inside, it's hard to see that. There's one person that gets every joke that goes through your head. (laughs) But they're just inside you. See who you are. You love yourself. Looking for the good inside and outside, that's a secret of awakening well-being. Because it's right there if we look for it. And this is a, a main practice that Neem Karoli Baba, how he mentioned, or Maharaji, um, gave that I've taken to heart for many years now. Keep looking for the good. Even when you see all the awful stuff around, when you look for the good, that's what you draw out. If you're around somebody who you know is seeing all your flaws and looking at how awful you are, how do you feel? Flawed, right? Somebody else might see all your flaws but sees how beautiful you are. How do you feel? Beautiful. We can draw that out of each other. The last thing I'll mention, there's lots of other wholesome states. There's a feeling of compassion, and giving to life, and connecting with others and, and loving and mudita, like we did today, but the last wholesome state I'll I'll mention is uh, not so much one that you cultivate, but one that you that comes when you stop doing everything. It's the joy of being, which is available to us all the time, when you stop trying, when you stop making anything happen, when you're fortunate enough to just be awake and be present for life, then that natural, pure awareness shines through you. And it's not busy saying, oh, you're not good enough, if only you'd improve. There's too much of an interesting show going on to be occupied with that. It's just revealing. Life is revealing itself to that awareness and that open heart, and that's who you really are. As uh, who was it? If we can find as Niyoshal Kempo says. Buddha-nature, the essence of uh, awakened enlightenment itself, is present in everyone. Those who recognize their true nature are enlightened. Those who ignore or overlook it are deluded. And there's no way to enlightenment other than by recognizing Buddha-nature and authentically identifying it within one's own stream of being. To do this, to open to this, it's not anything that you have to do. It's in the not doing, in the not getting caught up in I and me, that that pure being just shines through. How fantastic, how magical, how mysterious. This has been here all the time, and we've just missed it. Just for a moment, close your eyes and let go of trying to make anything happen and simply feel life as it moves through you. Let yourself relax as completely as you can and just. Feel aliveness. Notice the changing flow of experience, the thoughts or the sensations, the vibration. And then become aware of that which knows the experience. The awareness itself. And let yourself rest in that natural awareness. This is a great joy. It's here for us all the time. So I'll close as you're in that space with a Dana Falls poem, Awareness Knowing Itself, this is called. Settle in the here and now. Reach down into the center where the world is not spinning and drink this holy peace. Feel relief, flood into every cell, nothing to do, nothing to be, but what you are already. Nothing to receive, but what flows effortlessly from the mystery into form. Nothing to run from or run towards, just this breath, awareness knowing itself as embodiment. Just this breath, awareness waking up to truth. for your attention I'd really encourage you to um, notice the wholesome states as they arise let that be a very rich part of your practice to awaken any joy and well-being that's here okay we'll come back for walking in a little while for uh, chanting in a little while